But how do we present ourselves as Indian Americans that can create a stable culture in which when we see another, they see, we can say, yo, like we share this. And it's not just directed back to where our parents came from, but a certain sense of community in our country. And I will say that project has been, it's been impossible, <laughs> at least for myself. Welcome to Minority Report. I'm your host, Salomon Flamenco. And I'm your co-host, Danai Morquecho. Ooh, you said the long yeah, name. Yeah, I, nice. I hit it with the full name. I was contemplating on just Danny, but no, I'm hitting it with full name. Full you wanted name. the ethnic part to really come out. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to add a little spice. <laughs> How are your finals going? Ugh, oh, man, I'm taking... 18 hours this semester so three exams three 2000 word essays asked me in like a week and a half yeah what are you studying again i am a pre-law major with a philosophy concentration and a minor in legal studies wow that sounds smart you sound like a smart co-host to bring some good opinions you know here. what i am a smart co-host <laughs> I, I I am I'm I'm a qualified co-host. You're a qualified co-host. Okay, very cool. So, for all of the people listening, what is the show about? Today, this is the pilot episode, and we're going to talk to a friend of mine from undergrad. Her name is Aparva Mangipudi. We went to Reed College together in Portland, Oregon, and she's just a very interesting person. I didn't. I thought there was no better way to start the show with. I didn't want it to be so cookie cutter. And a part okay. of someone who really likes to break molds, I like to think. So on one hand, oh. she wants to, you know, become a lawyer. She wants to study human rights law, immigration law. She was an analyst for a little bit at this major immigration firm. But I've also known her to be this really talented singer, songwriter, musician. She wrote the piece that you just heard before this show I started. love that so much. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I thought just the variety of angles that really come with her would add a lot to this. And I think we had a really good discussion. We talked a lot about how do you build identity, right? Mm -hmm. How do you build, especially That's when- a difficult you're not, question to ask as well. Yeah, especially when you're not, you know, the mold, when you're not like a white person in the US and she's moved around a lot. That's, you know, you really do have to be almost tactile in the way you build identity, yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure she had amazing things to say, so I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, I'm excited to start. Should we just uh, should we hop in? Let's go for it. Who are you? What are you? And what do you do? I'm Apoorva. I'm Indian American, I guess I could say. And I recently just left my job as a paralegal at an immigration firm, and now I'm just transitioning. You're also an artist. Yes, I make music here and there. <laughs> I'm really interested that you didn't um, talk about that. I don't know. I guess the initial idea for me talking to you was to kind of get into that more. Uh, is there any reason why you didn't bring that up? I think... I don't know. I don't necessarily see it as a part of my identity, I think, as I'm growing older. But it is like a huge passion of mine and something that I love to do. But I don't know. I think maybe this ties into like cultural things. But I think when talking about what do you do in life, I think like your first thought is your professional career and, you know, what makes you money, stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about a little bit um, about that upbringing? Where did you grow up? That's such a brilliant question. I have moved over 20 times. Mm-hmm. Um, I The longest I spent anywhere, though, was in eastern Washington state um, in the small town called Liberty Lake, Washington, on the border of Idaho. So, yeah, that's what I've tried to call home, but definitely just random pockets of the United States, mostly rural areas in the Northeast, the South, Midwest, and the West Coast, and Colorado, whatever that is. (laughs) (laughs) It's Western, right? Southwest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Southwest. I don't think I'd see it as the Southwest. Interesting. You have to fight a lot of Coloradans if you're going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll make sure to amend that later. Why all the moves? Like, what did your parents do that? Or what did you do? Maybe you were just a really busy toddler. (laughs) What were you, what was going on? I think um, both of my parents were honestly just trying to make a career for themselves. And um, they took every opportunity that they could get to advance their positions in corporate America. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad, I think, was especially fond of moving around because he had moved around growing up a lot. So he saw it as great for personal development and character. Um, Yeah. Your parents are the immigrants, right? Or was it your grandparents? Yes, both of my parents came to the United States for their um, post-undergrad degrees. So for their master's degrees. Mm -hmm. And this was like in the 80s or 90s? Yeah, 90, 90 is when my mom came. No, sorry, 89 is when my dad came. 92 is when my mom came. Mm-hmm. It's a big subcontinent, but can you tell me a little bit about that background? Yeah, it's actually really cool. Um, so my both of them are technically South Indian Telugu. Um, that's the language that we speak, which is from a state called Andhra Pradesh and then parts of you know Telangana and other states as well. But um, my dad grew up moving around a lot, like I said. Um, he was born in the South, lived in Goa for a while, lived in Rajasthan for a while, and then moved back to the South when he was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then my mom, her father is South Indian as well, but he had moved to the North. So my mom was born in Kashmir and she grew up in the North her whole life. As an Indian American woman, can you talk about what that was like growing up, coming of age, but also as you've gotten older, any points of difference you've noticed with other people in the community, the Daisies, anything like that? Definitely. So I would say it's pretty, my sister and I were pretty isolated in our identity growing up. Like I said, it was predominantly white or predominantly Black or predominantly Latino towns. So it wasn't, there weren't a lot of bases for us to sort of have as feedback of what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong. So I was very often, how I came into my identity was being the first person that most people had met who had been from India or came from parents who were. So I had a very surface level understanding of it in that sense where I knew how to present myself, um, either my religion or my food or whatever in a palatable way. But then at home, both of my parents are really traditional and my father was like extremely pressed to make sure that we knew a lot about our culture and about our language and we're fluent in it and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's changed over time, I will say, like, you know, in full honesty, I was very embarrassed about it in like middle school and high school, because I just wanted to fit in. 
And um, I think a lot of the um, dynamics surrounding dating or surrounding, you know, being accepted by your friends, especially being the new kid almost every other year, it forced me to really have some sort of resentment towards being unique in that way. And I sort of went into college with a similar resentment, but I came into having a lot more friends who were Daisy and also just like growing up and maturing and realizing that being unique is an awesome thing. And, um, you know, to this day, I would say I actually don't have that many South Indian friends. So I've even started to learn about the nuances within Daisy culture and like it's not everyone is like, oh, you're just Daisy. Like there are a lot of nuances underneath that. But at the end of the day, it made me really appreciative of my family and especially my relationship with my sister because she had to navigate that as well. And yeah, now I feel very happy. <laughs> Excellent. So you would say now you feel closer to it than when you were growing up to your culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely done the work, done the healing that I've, and there's still a lot to be done, but I think um, I'm extremely, yeah, healed on that front compared to before. Interesting. Um, I guess I want to go into, it's funny because the questions I had come up with were a lot about that artistic sense I see in you, but you kind mm -hmm. of said that you don't really see that as a part of you. I'd love to hear that more. What do you see as yourself now? You know, <laughs> that's a really good question. I do feel like I live my life quite artistically in that sense. I like to seek adventure. I think a famous like one-liner that I love to say to myself is to do it for the plot. I think as a person, I've always been very adventurous and doing things that sometimes don't even make sense to myself. But I, I've come to find that I, you know, I had a really successful time with music when I was in high school. I was releasing stuff on SoundCloud and Spotify that was really starting to take off. But um, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and it was at a really critical moment right before applying to colleges where I was like, do I want to just not apply to college, go for music full time, or do I want to start exploring my plan B? And I chose plan B, which was to go to school and unexpectedly I got really into it and I started to love school so much and really loved the idea of becoming a professional in that sense. Um, but I've now after school has ended, I've started to think about, you know, how to approach music without the same pressure of like, how much money am I making this week? When is my next song due out? Like, you know, who am I collaborating with? How am I getting both of us paid? Like, I think some of that pressure I'm just trying to let go of and focus on actually just creating and experimenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know for a lot of um, children of immigrants, there is that pressure that mm -hmm. you, I don't want to say is universal, but everyone kind of feels to one extent or another where it's very un-American, but it isn't just you. And I'd love to hear, do you think that played any role in your thought process? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, I'm always one to sort of like I definitely need a strong narrative to convince myself to do something and I think having this narrative growing up of like this rebellious like oh my parents don't want to see me be successful in this one thing so now I have to really push myself to do it I actually don't think that was a very sustainable model it obviously produced great results for the time being but you grow your parents grow and eventually you start to like each other <laughs> And then you start to realize, okay, why am I actually doing this? Is this because I feel confident in it and because I know that I could do it? 
And yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of people who have pushed back from ever really pursuing the fine arts, if you will, if like, you know, just as time goes on, just because they start to get maybe interested in other things, or they feel like it's not a sustainable, sustainable thing. So to me, I don't have cohesive thoughts about this, but I will say as someone who tries to live their life, sorry, this is like a really annoying, it's the bread guy who comes. I don't know why he's doing it. It's raining outside. So all of his bread is probably getting wet. But anyways, yeah, I, I have known quite a few people who've also sort of redirected their efforts into things that other things that they're interested in as well. But um, it is like a really common, I think, child of immigrants dilemma where you're like, did my parents really sleep on a floor for three years and eat saltine crackers, as they say, you know, God knows if that's actually what happened, but did they do all of that for me to just do the same exact thing? Or should I be like, thinking about generations ahead of me as well and you know start pursuing opportunities that they didn't have so my children and their children can have opportunities even greater I guess I want to push you on one thing you talked about do it for the plot and I'd love to get a better sense of where the plot is now you're Mexico City you're from seemingly everywhere (laughs) and you want to work on your professionalism but I'd love to hear more about what you think that means for you personally yeah, I mean, I think um, I think some of the most interesting people I've met in life have obviously traveled quite a bit, and they've forced themselves to be humble in the face of a lot of different things, and to question who they were. I think some of the points in which I've felt the most stuck in my life is when I thought I knew myself best, but I think as I'm growing older in my 20s, you know, reading memoirs, befriending much older people who have had really interesting lives, I've come to realize that like, I don't want to have a stable understanding of who I am. I just sort of want to come into it Mm -hmm. as time goes on. And I think that involves putting myself in relatively uncomfortable situations where, you know, I don't know exactly what the future looks like, but I know that I have the skills to be able to develop a self-awareness to sustain myself even through some of the roughest times Mm -hmm. because I've come to find even when things are figured out let's say like you have a great job you have great friends and stuff you can still be like really depressed and like still hate your life so it's just like I think for me it's trying to build resilience in my life so that way when inevitably something really difficult does come down the line that I can say to myself I moved you know by myself to foreign country not really having any idea of what to do but I did that so I can do this now and I think that's sort of what I'm trying to do um, at this time in my life is to just really push myself to get through the hard days it's very Anthony Bourdain of you I feel I love him so much so I'm so glad you said that a huge idol of mine (laughs) Um, I guess along those lines one of the things I was going to ask earlier was who are who else is someone you would look up to in that vein what other touchstones do you have you know culturally or personally or just anything that helps you strive for the plot yeah I mean I my father I would say I would you know For someone that I look up to, I would say it's my sister, but when it comes to like specifically to doing things for the plot or for self-development, my father, I think is a great example. 
He actually trained to be a professional athlete throughout his life and was a professional cricketer in India, but then he had a really bad injury. So then had to completely reroute, figure out what the hell to do and decided to move to America because, you know, land of the dream, whatever Uh narrative that he bought into. And it eventually worked for him to a certain degree. But um, I think him and I had very monumental talks when I was like, nine, 10 years old about what I'm doing with my life and how I need to have a passion for life. And um, yeah, just hearing about sort of how he navigated some of the most difficult moments of his life being in a brand new country with a new marriage, new baby, having almost no money, like being at the scrapyard in Connecticut during the winter, like just to find a fucking part for your car, like these types of stories. And I will say he's a great, like he's great with his words, great narrator of life but I think those stories really have helped me and he's actually been like the most supportive one of all of this because he can see how life is relatively long Mm -hmm. and you can be sat in a boardroom when you're 50 years old great but if you don't have like internal resilience and an understanding of yourself and what you're capable of then nothing is ever going to matter. And he said that very point blank, that as a parent, you know, he thought his biggest challenge would be getting to be at a certain level in his professional career. But sometimes it was just communicating with his teenage daughter, (laughs) given like the cultural differences and stuff. But he's like, what brought me through that is like having a sense of self, having taken those risks in my 20s and knowing that if I could do that, then I can do this too. And I can teach my kids how to do that too. So yeah. That's really sweet. I really, I really do love how that turned out. That's probably the thing I've said about my dad in like 10 years, but yeah. I guess I want to just double back on something else you said too about the American dream. Still, a lot of Indians come to America for that. A lot of everyone. And I want to get your sense as someone who's, you know, been in the thick of it. I'd love to get your sense of what does that mean to you now? Yeah, I mean, I will say... I will definitely differentiate between what my parents did versus what other Indians and Pakistanis do versus what a lot of, you know, Latin Americans do as well. There is an immense amount of privilege in coming to this country with a flight ticket for a graduate program versus obviously other types of immigration. And it was not anything pushing my parents out. There was no reason for them to leave per se, other than to improve their opportunities for studies. So I've been, I've become very aware, you know, growing up, like I'm a brown faced kid in a white town. Like I felt I related to my peers in a lot of those ways because all of my friends, you know, tended to be brown and black, but I also, you know, with maturity and education, have come to understand that our lives were always very different. And if things didn't work out in the United States, my parents still had a home to go back to and, you know, a country to thrive in if they wanted to. So I I like to make that differentiation because I would say that their immigrant struggle wasn't necessarily that of what many immigrants definitely struggle with. Um, But with that being said, I do think um, they did struggle in a lot of ways still. Like, you know, they were students for a long time here and they had no guarantee of a job. Even if they finished their degrees, they were working full time while being in school And throughout their careers, they've faced like an immense amount of obstacles, just given that, you know, they come from a different place and they're not taken as seriously or their cultures just don't overlap. But yeah, I just have an immense amount of respect for them. And they've definitely, like my dad has definitely made a few decisions to try to like 
improve the family situation that were probably very risky, maybe under the table a little bit, but for the most part being that like, I have a lot of pride for what they've been able to do to make sure that my sister and I have been relatively successful in this country. Um, what do they study? Can I ask? Yeah, for sure. So my dad came here for his MBA. Um, so after in India, there's like this whole system where you have to be in the track for what you want to study. And because he was doing cricket till like, you know, 16 through 19 or 20, he ended up having to go to the last resort, which was accounting. Mm. And accounting in India is like, you're just counting pennies at that point. So he, you know, at that point in the late 80s, there wasn't a lot of immigration coming from India for finance to the United States, but he wanted to take the risk because he was like, the tech boom is probably going to be happening soon. So why don't I, you know, they need to count their money. So hopefully let me just go along with that. And then my mom studied um, nuclear and high particle physics, and she was getting her PhD in the U.S. at the University Whoa. of Connecticut. I, yeah. I've known you for like four or five years. I never once knew that second part. <laughs> this yeah, is... she's a very, very smart woman. <laughs> I guess going into that, one of the last things I want to ask about is, I don't want to say the plight, but I do want to say the Indian American experience, I feel like for many reasons you just said, is very unique in the United States. Like you look at the statistics, they are probably by far one of the minorities that are better off. I'd love mm -hmm. to get your sense of that but like also what exclusion still arises, especially if you're in a rural town. What do you make of it personally? I mean, I think I like to include my sister in this as well, because she's my older sister. And I think her navigating her identity was a huge part of navigating my own. And I think we were very aware that we are sort of one of the first generations of Indian Americans um, in this country, the United States. Um, and I think we definitely felt that void where I felt like a lot of, obviously there's very strong black culture. There's very strong, you know, like Latinx culture. And to a certain degree, honestly, there's a certain East Asian culture that also exists in the U S especially on the West coast. That's pretty, you know, it's, it's widespread. It's wide known that we were like, okay, so where do we fit in now? Obviously we are none of those things. How do we make this in real time while also being accepted at the same time? Because this doesn't happen overnight. This doesn't even happen in one generation. But how do we present ourselves as Indian Americans that can create a stable culture in which when we see another, they see, we can say, yo, like we share this. And it's not just directed back to where our parents came from, but a certain sense of community in our country. And I will say that project has been it's been impossible, <laughs> at least for myself. I, I feel like I've had not one shared experience with so many Desis that I've met, but that's just me personally, right? I moved around a ton growing up. I wasn't, I, you know, we have our classic Bollywood movies that we talk about, but beyond that, I was like, what else are we, you know, relating on? And yeah, I mean, I just feel like the project is still continuing. I think now we're starting to see much more representation in media. I believe this year was the first South Asian New York Fashion Week, which was really exciting. Oh, wow. Um, but I don't know. I think it's it's also arguments between my sister and I about did Mindy Kaling do a good job of demonstrating what we're actually like in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that, that I think as that... Um, sort of discourse continues to happen is where the culture will start to be built and you will start to see 
more Desi Americans be able to be alternative and be able to be interested in what they're actually interested in and meet mainstream bases, which I just did recently and, you know, start to understand that culture a little bit better. So I think finding all of those things has been an interesting part of life, but I'm excited to see how, you know, the future generation really starts to navigate it and be like, oh, like that's so old school and be like, there was no old school for us. Like we created that. That's um, that's yeah. really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I guess um, just to wrap up, what's next for you personally in terms of everything we've just said about, you know, the weight of the future and the past of your own self-development? Where do you see yourself going? Not even like long-term, just until, you know, the end of the year, three, four more months. What do you think? I think, you know, being in a completely brand new space has been really nice. Um, especially I, you know, I've, maybe you and I have talked a little bit about legibility abroad and sort of how, as I've been here now in Mexico and as I was in Argentina before, like I'm perceived to be directly from India. Like there's no question about that from people who approach me. Um, and it's been funny because in Spanish, you know, India or India refers to indigenous people. So they automatically call Indian people from India Hindu. Mm -hmm. And so just having those conversations with people and people only asking me about India. Oh, in India, like, are there tsunamis as well? What is it like in India about do people steal from you on the train? Like questions that I don't necessarily have the direct answers for, but also doing the healing work to be like, I'm not embarrassed to be perceived as being Indian by any means. In fact, it's actually quite flattering because if they found out I'm, Amer I'm American, then that might actually, you know, fare worse for me. But um, I think for the next few months, it's just mainly about leaning into that in a foreign context and being proud of that, being proud to represent a culture and many different cultures within a culture and all these different things. Um, but yeah, just staying surrounded by Desi people, keeping in touch with my family, obviously, that's a huge part of it. Um, getting to know my younger cousins who are also navigating these things now in middle school and high school and being able to share with them that everything's okay. Like just because a white boy doesn't think you're attractive doesn't mean you're not attractive. <laughs> you know, just the little things. So yeah, I think there's a lot of hope for the future. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So what did you think? That was very interesting. Can I just firstly say, I know the bread guy. I know the bread guy personally. <laughs> I know the bread know guy personally. Bread guy. <laughs> I, know, I know that guy. And except here, it's the elote guy. But I I, I know the, the Zoom bread guy struggle. Just so, real quick, uh, just to talk about uh, who's the bread guy for you and where you are versus Mexico City. Yeah, so, okay, she said bread guy. Here, we don't really get a bread guy. It's more the elote guy, and it's like he has a little bell. And that's in Tamaulipas, right? Yes, mm -hmm. Matamoros, Tamaulipas. And, um, or or it'll be like, you know, like popsicles, like in the plastic wrap. Yeah, that, I, I know that guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, bolis. <laughs> so, so basically, that's that's my, those are my guys over here. 
What is it like sweet bread? Is it pan dulce or what type of like I, that? I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing it would be maybe like conchas or something yeah. like that. Cause I mean, it, it ain't going to be a baguette or something. Dude, I would be so grateful to just have a bread guy around DC. <laughs> just selling <laughs> pan dulce and conchas, like especially now that it's colder. Yeah, it good. definitely is a vibe for sure. Beyond the bread, beyond the carbs, what did you think of the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, it's interesting because identity, I feel like it's such a big question, especially, I mean, at our age, it's just a really big question. And philosophy is such a big part of my life now. Obviously, in my studies, I feel like it's leaked into other avenues of my life. And I still fucking hate the question, who are you? I hate it. Like, come find out. Come find out. I, I don't know who I am. I'm trying to figure it out, too. But why don't you maybe stick around and find out? So her approach on it was really refreshing as well, that she kind of she doesn't really want to know. She's not really interested in answering the question. She more so she wants to find out as well. I thought that was super refreshing and I can totally relate. And I think it's interesting just coming from our perspective, because um, for people listening who don't know us, I mean, we grew up in a really interesting part of the country. Absolutely. Like the, the closest comparison is probably like Miami, but Texas, right? I mean, there's nowhere else really that is, you know, of two different countries as much as South Texas is. Yeah, like absolutely. It's, I mean, it's yeah. literally, it's funny. I'm I'm reading a book, it's called Borderlands. And it's talk. It talks about how the border is so funny. It the border moved, and it kind of displaced so many people. Mm-hmm. And they're in this in between of you know Mexican and American culture. And I think South Texas is really unique in the way where it it melts together. But you'd be surprised. Identity is such a big crisis as well because I, for me personally. It's like, okay, which one am I more of? Is it maybe am I more on one side, the other side? And uh, it's really interesting to navigate that, mm-hmm. especially like in your earlier years. Because I know she mentioned she was in middle school, she was ashamed and she she grew up having this resentment. And I, I really, I, I can I can relate in a very small scale to what she felt. I think from my perspective, right, I mean, you, I've bored you to death with my story for so many years, but for those who don't know, like, I grew up in California and Texas, and I don't think it was until I went to school in Oregon that I realized how lucky I really was, right, to grow up in places that were so, if not diverse, at least a little bit, right, like, I always grew up around Hispanic people, Latinos, to a certain extent, like, Asian and Black people, like, it was just, it was my water. I never mm-hmm. knew anything else. And I thought that until I got to Portland, Oregon, I was like, oh, that wasn't everyone's America. Like not everyone lives in just like places that are so interesting and just, you know, brown, like for any other word, like that isn't just American. Mm -hmm. It was a big wake up call for me. So hearing a part of her talk about her own journey was really refreshing to hear, I think. And I found a lot of solidarity in it, even if it wasn't an exact one to one. Yeah, I feel like her story, um, you can take it apart and you can really 
find something that you can relate to personally. And I think that's what makes it special. Yeah. I definitely want to hear more of the music too. I can't believe, I mean, I, I also thought it was super interesting that she doesn't really think of it so much as part of her identity. And I think, I mean, she mentioned as she grows older, it's kind of like maybe fading a little bit. I think that's really fucking sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really would sad. I would agree with you. I feel like I don't want to speak for her. I don't want to like, you know, mm-hmm. but just working on this podcast project, which, you know, I think is very different from music making, but it is audio. It can be nerve wracking there. You know, there have been a lot of times where I just a certain sound doesn't hit me as much as I want it to be or the editing process is being very difficult. And so when this does finally drop, I'm going to be very proud of the work we've done. But, you know, it's a lot of it takes a lot of yourself to dedicate to these missions of, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Any other thoughts, concluding thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I'm mostly just grateful for Parva for, you know, spending the time with us. I think it was a really good pilot episode. I'm really proud that this is is out when it's out. I, like, just, I know. Wait, actually, do you want to give a little history on, <laughs> on the podcast we were going to start before? Oh, God, we can do that on the next episode. <laughs> we'll leave that as the teaser for next yeah, week. Yeah, and I'm happy to be here. I loved listening to her i think she's amazing you want to read us out absolutely okay this has been minority report with salomon flamenco and me of course danai morquecho please email us at minorityreport.be at gmail.com if you have any story you would like to share with us a porvo recorded our music sherry shan created our cover art and our producer is our very own salomon flamenco thanks for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>